Welcome to Spark, careers in agribusiness, where we meet the most accomplished leaders in agribusiness today. Learn how each of the women and men featured has built leadership into their life's work and what advice they have for young people just beginning their careers. Your host for Spark is Sarah Stever, president at Paulson. Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of Spark. Today we are visiting with Nancy Barkas and Nancy's the Chief Operating Officer at Agriculture Future of America, which is better known as AFA. I'm going to let Nancy tell us about AFA's mission, but I want to say that her role at AFA makes her just the perfect uh, interview guest to have because of the work that she does and how that aligns so well with our mission at Spark, which is to give career advice to young men and women. So Nancy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sarah. It's my pleasure to be here, and thank you for having this um, podcast to provide mentorship and and, uh, examples for young people. Well, a little bit about AFA, as you said. Uh, We build bridges for young leaders. We want to foster engagement and innovation in food and agriculture. And another way you could put that is to build young people that have a high sense of entrepreneurialism or they excel in whatever organizational structure that they're in. So we serve college students and young professionals to build transformational leaders that are going to move our industry forward. As you shared, I am currently the Chief Operating Officer, and as we think about you know, our individual roles in building transformational leaders, the way I define that for my role in, uh, today is leading AFA's organizational capacity and coaching employees. Um, my role is pretty diverse in a small organization. We, I guide program direction, uh, but also wear hats in finance, human resources, and technology in and support of the organization and our ability to do what we do. Wow, you wear lots of hats, and actually that's a great cross-section because, you know, there are so many careers that you can have in agriculture, and it's really nice to have one person with the background in so many of them. So one of the things that I think might be curious to our audience, since a lot of them have a background in FFA, um, and they would be familiar with that program, how do those two, do those two dovetail together, or how, how should we think about that? Sure. Um, you know, I was in 4-H and FFA growing up, and I can talk a little bit more about those influences. But really, if you think about the continuum of youth development of 4-H, FFA, AFA would be the next chapter of that. We, we start at the college level when young people have made the decision to pursue a career in a food or agriculture-related area. So a lot of our uh, the students we serve do have a background in 4-H or FFA. Um, some don't, and that's a growing population as well. But we're really targeting that that college student and beyond. Very good. Okay. Well, that makes perfect sense, and that's great to have a, a transition because I know a lot of kids are, you know, they just really enjoyed that experience of FFA and all of the leadership qualities that they gained from that are probably a natural progression then. So let's Mm -hmm. take a little bit of a look back, um, and if you would take a minute to kind of tell us about what it was like for you growing up in your early life. Sure. Well, I grew up in a rural community on a small farm, actually in town with a little bit larger farm out of town. Um, 4-H and FFA were huge influences on my life and certainly both cultivated my interest in food and agriculture as well as giving me the platform to practice, practice organizational leadership. Uh, through clubs and uh, you know officer roles, things like that. 
my sisters and I operated a 600 chrysanthemum business in junior high and high school, and that exposed me to horticulture and certainly community relations. Um, generally, I, I'm the child of two people that are in, have an insatiable work ethic, and to this day, my siblings and I sometimes curse them for passing that on to us, but I, I think that really helped define who I am today, uh, who we all are today. But those things combined really led me. Oh, I'm I sorry. I was just going to ask you. You so you got to give me some more detail about the 600 chrysanthemums. What? Tell me what that was like. <laughs> sure. Uh, well, the story goes: my dad was an ag teacher and my FFA advisor eventually, and so he knew a lot of other people and a lot of um, what we call a supervised agricultural experience that that young people would would seek to have and. Uh, 4-H projects and that sort of thing and we had a giant garden that my mom you know grew vegetables in for a long time and canned but at the point she had four children it was very hard to keep up with that and so my dad got the idea that our project um, could be to grow hardy chrysanthemums and sell them as a means of um, you know in lieu of having a job elsewhere, um, that was our that was our job, and that's how we started to pay for college or our first um, vehicles. So we we didn't start with six hundred. We probably started with a hundred or two hundred and worked our way up. But we bought them as rooted cuttings in the spring, and grew them in the garden all through the summer. Cared for them, and then marketed them. Um, by having people come out to our house, which was in town, but on the edge of town in a, in a small area, a small area, and uh, they would pick the exact ones they wanted. We would dig them out of the ground, stick a plastic grocery bag around them, and they could take them home and, and plant them in their gardens or their landscaping. Wow. That's, I've never heard of anybody doing that. That's great. What a great project. <laughs> oh, fun. Yeah. Okay. Well, cool. <laughs> I'm not sure we felt that fond of it in the, in the sure. moment, but it was a great learning experience. Well, so. you could have been cleaning out the hog house instead, so you know, <laughs> it's probably yeah. not so bad. Yeah. So I interrupted you, so continue <laughs> on with your, your issues. No, that's okay. That's okay. Well, that certainly crafted my interest in horticulture, and I, I started majoring in horticulture in college, but my two parents are also educators, and I think I had that that bug. Um, so I ended up getting both a plant science degree and a degree in ag education, leadership and communications. And I'm glad I did. I'm glad I kept both of those because I really think they prepared me for my career to have both that science, uh, hard and social science degrees uh, to understand agriculture and our and the needs of our industry that are so um, heavily rooted in the sciences. Um, but also I work more in that social human space. Uh, I, I had the opportunity to be a student involved in AFA in college, and, and that really broadened my view of the world and gave me a lot of exposure and mentorship. Uh, and then I had the opportunity to begin managing AFA programs when the organization was only five years old. And because of that youth and, and the small team to carry out our mission, I got exposed to all elements of the organization and uh, really helped helped or had the opportunity to build a lot of the processes and approach to our work, which has allowed me to grow into the role I'm in today. 
Wow, what a perfect background then to be just at the very beginning when they were starting all their programs. Interesting. I didn't realize the age of AFA, mm-hmm. so it's a fairly, it's a young organization, really. Yeah, we got our start in the late 90s. Okay, very good. Very good. So having a background with um, parents that were ag educators probably was pretty formative for you. Was there any sort of a, a pivotal event in your life that you know, kind of put you on the path that you're on? Well, as I thought about that question, um, the things that come to mind are that, um, well, back to your question around education, I, as I started out in a horticulture degree program, I really, what my goal was to be a landscape designer. And I had the opportunity to work in a garden center with the intent to shadow a landscape designer as an internship out of my freshman year of college. And um, I'm probably the biggest proponent today that internships are both the best way to find out what you do want to do and what you don't want to do because of that experience. <laughs> so that and while I love the, want to do it, right? <laughs> yeah, while I love the experience for what it was, ultimately it, I knew that career path wasn't right for me or wasn't going to feed me the way that I I wanted and and that led me on the path of figuring out what it was I wanted to do Um, so that was certainly pivotal in my education direction but I was as I was evaluating job opportunities near graduation I was blessed to have opportunities in corporate government and nonprofit uh, tracks with AFA and I was drawn to AFA for a lot of reasons uh, not the least of which was my college involvement uh, but I made the decision to join AFA in part because I knew that it would be the easiest to transition from if I decided I wanted to go somewhere else uh, into one of those other venues because of the networks I could maintain and, and have the opportunity to work with. But in the end, it was the right decision for a lot more reasons than that, um, than I knew at that time. Um, and then perhaps the other is that once I'd been at AFA for about five years, you know, we were growing, but we were still small. And I felt like uh, if I was going to be in a position to lead this type of organization in the future, I really needed some additional exposure. Uh, So I took an opportunity that came my way, and I left AFA for two years. I moved halfway across the country, uh, and my now husband and I were engaged over those courses of time, and he was in Kansas City, and I was in Washington, D.C., and that experience and the people I worked with, the clients I had, definitely shaped me uh, and provided just a plethora of exposure that helped broaden you know, my skill set when I have the opportunity to return to Kansas City and to AFA. So what, so what was your role when you were in D.C.? I worked for an agricultural consultancy, and uh, we were you know, did everything from strategic planning to learning and technology implementation. And we were uh, the organization was headquartered out of Indianapolis and was growing into nonprofit and government uh, practices. So I led business development for trade associations and nonprofits. Wow, that seems very different from what you're doing right now. Maybe maybe that's a misperception on my part, but that's <laughs> interesting. 
Well, it, it was. It was um, a lot of account management, and, and really, I think what led me there was the fact that I'd worked in a nonprofit and had some exposure around that to be able to find ways to add value um, to the clients that I was uh, seeking out for the organization. Okay. All right. Well, that did that did make sense. Okay. So did so did your heart take you back to Kansas City, or were you just like that was enough of that? And I, I wanted a new, you know, a different career. Sure, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I don't know that I ever intended to be in D.C. permanently, and certainly at that point in my life, um, my significant other was in Kansas City and well established. We knew there would be a time when we'd have to figure out uh, whether which direction we were going, but. It was an important developmental opportunity, and, and we were in a, a time and situation where we made that decision together that we would go on that journey and then figure it out. Um, it, to be very transparent, it was during the recession, and so that was a factor in ultimately uh, the choice to come back to Kansas City, but our families are both in the Midwest, and, and ultimately we knew this is where we wanted to be. Yeah. Well, I don't blame you. I love visiting D.C., but I think it would be really challenging. Um, I think you have to be a certain personality to, to love living there. <laughs> it was a big challenge uh-huh. there. So then when you came back, you, you came right back to AFA then. Is that right? I did. I had the opportunity to come back to AFA. Uh, there was some changes um, happening in the organization, and uh, so it was just right, right time. Very good. Very good. So you talked about your parents, you know, being egg educators, and I'm sure that they were very, very supportive. Um, was there anyone else in your life, or was that really just, um, were they just really the most influential people in kind of guiding you? Well, certainly in my youth, they were. Uh, as I think about others, AFA's founding executive, Russ Weathers, has probably been most important in my development as a, coming into as an employee on a team of five. I had an open door to bend his ear ear, or brainstorm or learn from him, and he um, had a very diverse um, career before coming to AFA, and so I just learned so much working alongside him. He was very supportive, um, and I learned how to do my job well, but in turn, I learned how to help others in the same way, Uh, and through the coaching and mentoring he exemplified, and that, that was very important. Uh, I've only worked for two organizations post-college and AFA and, and that consultancy that I talked about. And he and, and my supervisor, um, actually Rob McClelland, who is, is certainly still in the industry, have been very supportive and dedicated to my success. And I think that makes a big difference when you put it or put into uh, stretch roles. But I also think about um, – the role that the AFA Board of Directors has had in my life over the course of these years, too. And they represent you know, leaders in businesses and nonprofits and universities all across our country. And one, uh, just by the nature of who we are, I've gotten to sit at that table for a really long time. And through our transition of leadership as an organization, they, although the, the people involved have changed, have just been amazingly supportive of um, our growth and, and in my role in that. 
Well, I can see why you would want to come back. That sounds like a, just a really fabulous organization with that great leadership. Wonderful. Yes, it has. And, and we, you know, we think a lot of, uh, as an organization that's working to develop young people, we cannot be critical. Uh, high, we, it would be, um, it would be contrary to our mission if we weren't the same internally. And we talk about that a lot. <laughs> Hypocritical. That's the word I was looking for. And so uh, we really do try to, to live those things out every day. How often does your board change out? Uh, that's a great question. We have about three-year terms, and, and we are seeing but they can renew for a second term. Uh, we are probably seeing more change in, in those roles today than we have uh, at the initiation of the organization. There was more consistency, and we had board members that were on the, the board for 10-plus years. Um, but usually it's on that three- to six-year cycle. Okay, interesting. So you're, you're just by virtue of the fact that you're there, your network is kind of ever-expanding, I guess. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about yeah. um, any obstacles that you've had to overcome. Yeah, so when I went to work for uh, a consultancy in D.C., as I alluded to earlier, they, they were trying to expand their footprint and their client base, and... So I was one of three team members in that new geography, working from home for the first time and 500 miles from the organization's headquarters in Indianapolis. And so I had to really work hard to push myself outside my comfort zone and not rely too heavily on my supervisor who was located in D.C. with me versus building relationships with a broader team. And I kind of caught myself in that uh, point. It's really easy to go to the closest resource for help, uh, but it wasn't always the wisest choice and certainly didn't help me utilize the strengths of the organization. Um, so it just it took time and recognizing that and being vulnerable to build relationships and ask a lot of questions uh, because it was a new area, you know, a new, a whole new business model for me uh, and, you know, just learning all that we had to offer and, and the people uh, that were there to su- support our organization. Uh, you know, that's one big thing that came to mind. But as I thought about this, you know, there's probably lots of little obstacles I could share. The reality is, I've been very blessed to have a lot of great mentors and teams along the way. Um, But the other obstacle that I think about is actually a product of of that blessing. Um, It may sound weird, so I'll explain. (laughs) You know, the two organizations I've worked for have come to me because basically someone observed something in me and presented me with an opportunity. And I, within those opportunities, especially here at AFA, because we were young when I joined and we've just been growing over time, I had the chance to grow and evolve in roles with the organization. Um, and there's, you know, comes a point where I realized that maybe my career was leading me more than I was in the driver's seat to any great extent. And while that has served me incredibly well, it, it won't serve me forever. And so you have to think about how to be purposeful in defining who I want to be and how that, you know, how I'm going to get there. Um, and I can't say that I've completely overcome that. Uh, it's a process. But the things that I'm doing to, are to be more mindful are seeking, you know, mentors, 
across the industry or beyond and doing more self-reflection and journaling just to assure that I know my purpose and goals moving forward so I can look for those opportunities down the road. I am so glad that you brought up a topic like that. That's really an interesting one. I think I'd like to dig into that a little bit because I've been thinking a lot lately myself about how important communication skills are in helping you determine where you're going yourself. And that maybe doesn't sound like the two are related, but when you you talk about journaling and really self-reflection, that writing things down and, and distilling down what's important to you what, what is at your core? What is your personal mission? That can be a really hard question to answer. And I think just that writing helps you bring that out in yourself and really think those things through. It certainly does. And, and I think part of it is just the fact that by, I don't want to use this word, but I will, forcing yourself that alone time to do that at the point, you know, that I'm in my um, upper 30s, and I have small kids and a busy life, and so it's really easy to not do that and never spend any thoughtful time, you know, giving it time to, to really have those things come to you. And so journaling or things like that kind of force that um, and putting it into words beyond the, the maybe random thoughts of the mind over time. Sure, I think that's probably true, really solidifying things for yourself. Hmm, that's interesting. So can you, and maybe maybe you're not to the point where you can actually map this out, but where do you think that's taking you versus the idea that a, you know, a career might be kind of, you might be riding on the train of your career instead of you know the engineer driving it? Well, I don't know that I can answer that question fully at this point, other than I... I um, giving me the opportunity to say, you know, as AFA grows, where do I want to be in that, if that's where my place is, um, in a way that feeds me and allows me to continue to grow and contribute where I want to be, but also to be, um, to build that into the planning processes for our organization. Um, Or if it's not here, how, you know, how would I get there um, over time. And so that's more where I'm focusing is, you know, it doesn't mean those things don't always mean leaving an organization or or drastic changes, Um, but it means as opportunities come up within or or outside that you know that they are directionally correct. Sure, and your role is really critical to the to the success of AFA too. So you're bringing that perspective. Um, and I, I think all organizations are, uh, and this is true of, of my company, we are, you know, kind of a compilation of all the people that work here. So every day when they come in, you know, making sure that they're aligned with the mission that we have and the work that we do is pretty important because it shapes the organization over time for sure. So Oh, that's yeah. That's a yeah. great. I'm so glad you shared that. That's really, really interesting. Thank you. Thank you for that. So let's talk a little bit about mentorship because I know almost your whole role is probably being a mentor in some way, shape, or form, but maybe you can talk about it a little bit. Sure. And you know, I've had the opportunity to have a lot of mentors, as I shared, and certainly uh, be a mentor. 
within AFA or externally. And I, like I shared, the AFA Board of Directors have certainly um, played that role in a lot of ways, and, and my colleagues. Uh, I had the opportunity to go through a leadership program in Kansas City, uh, much like state agricultural leaderships, uh, leadership programs in across the country, but this is based in Kansas City in a two-year program, and, and that or the people that I met through that program really have served as mentors to me in, in informal and formal ways. Um, but as I think about how I've got, had the chance to mentor others, certainly um, as a supervisor or that sort of thing, but really I, I counted them up this morning. I have been in the organization through 16 um years or cycles of what we would call our student advisory team, which is a team of nine or ten uh, as the organization has grown, college men and women who um, serve for our organization and help us carry out our programs. And uh, through our annual conference and others, they're really the ones that are on stage facilitating and we become the background. And so that working relationship and how we get to know them has been a tremendous um, opportunity to mentor. Um, and then we launched a, a program a couple of years ago called the AFA Leader Fellowship. And I have had the opportunity to be a coach through that program for a young person. And I share that because one of the learnings that I've found is that um, there's a difference between mentoring and coaching. And they serve different purposes. And I think sometimes they get lumped together. And launching this program has really helped me understand that difference very clearly and for both myself in identifying what relationships I would build and why, uh, but also how we clarify that for others. And, and in short, I think about a mentor as, you know, they're your cheerleader, they're your supporter, and they're someone that is there to help um, listen to your goals and help you craft them and, and open doors for that, perhaps, versus a coach is helping people find their own learning, vet that out maybe if they haven't um, reflected enough on experiences to, to know what they learned or where they're headed, and challenging them for the better. So they're not always your cheerleader. Sometimes they may be challenging a, a thought uh, process, but to help in the learning process along the way, if that makes sense. Yeah, actually, I've never heard someone make a distinction, but that makes perfect sense. It's been fun to be on both sides of that, and I think there's just lots of different value to find in both places. Sure. So, of those two roles, which one is more difficult to be, to be a mentor versus being a coach? I think definitely being a coach, because it takes um, really getting to know someone and being very mindful of preparing for the interactions um, that you're going to have with them. It takes asking good questions to really help someone find the value of an experience and how they could articulate what they learned to others or um, just simply stepping out of the cheerleader role sometimes and challenging someone is, is not necessarily our natural sure. um, position. Yeah, and hard, so it's it, hard I conversations, think that, right? Yeah. 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 But they're very crucial. 
That's a, that's really interesting. So let's just roll into the you know the money question here for us. When you you've talked about both of those, you know, being a mentor versus being a coach. But so what is your best advice if you try to distill down you know all the years of experience you've had? What's your best advice? Well, the two things that come to mind is make decisions for the life you have right now and not the life you have you hope to have at some point. Um, and Probably the book that draws this out the most is the book Lean In, which is very much um, oriented towards women, but I think this is a valuable lesson for anybody, uh, and that is, you know, we, we dream of a family and a spouse and uh, our ultimate career aspirations, and I working with young people especially, I see sometimes the decision-making process being swayed by a spouse or a family that isn't a factor at that point in time. And that can be really limiting um, versus, you know, if there's not a significant other in the picture, if there's not a a family as a near term, then then's the time to stretch yourself and make decisions that will, um, will maybe craft that career potential uh, before you're making decisions with someone else or f- for your family. Um, and then the other thing that I think goes alongside that is setting goals, um, certainly, but being present to opportunities in the moment. Not That may maybe redefine the path of how you get to those goals, um, not being very rigid in, you know, I'm going to achieve X and this is the path to get there. That's, a, that's great advice, and I can see how those two kind of dovetail a little bit. Um, I hadn't really thought about that first one, but I think that's actually really true. You you know, if you get to, uh, and maybe it's a geographic challenge, you know, you don't leave somewhere because you, you know, you're, you you know, who knows who you might meet, but. Right. I want, you know, I know I eventually want to raise my family in um, the geography closest to home. And so therefore I'm not going to take my first job some great distance from there or because I don't see the potential to get there in that job. But the reality is you can always make a new decision and get closer to home when the time is right. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's really true. And I, and get, and having your goals really kind of in a way limit you too, if you don't take opportunities as they come, because that's certainly true. I, right. You know, I those, would, those broader I was going to say those those early decisions that maybe are um, not in line with that ultimate goal. Let's continue with the geography of being close to home. Maybe the uh, opportunity that affords you to do a great job and perform well, and then be afforded that flexibility later on yeah. uh, by the same organization. You just never know. Yeah, it's very true. I think you could potentially miss a lot of a lot of opportunities by you know just not being willing to expand your horizons a bit. Mm-hmm. So, let's come back to the present here and think a little bit about um you know just think about the background that you've had and if you've spent some time in DC and and certainly working for a consulting group and then coming back to AFA 
you're probably seeing a lot of things, and especially this year has turned out to be a you know a really challenging one in agriculture, even even more so than the last seven, which have been challenging. Um, but what are you most concerned about in your sphere of influence? Yeah, well, to your point about just the agricultural environment, uh, I have thought a lot over the last year in that when we when AFA began and I was a freshman in college sitting in a, a, a conference room with a lot of my peers, we went through a program called Agriculture What? Are You Crazy? <laughs> and the whole session was about, like, why are you here? Why did you choose to a path in food and agriculture when so many of your mentors said you there's no future in it? But the reality is we were all passionate about the industry and the people in it that we still cho- made that decision. And um, advanced five years, we weren't hosting that program anymore because the agriculture environment was entirely different and I was hearing you know very seasoned professionals in our industry saying man I wish I was just getting started in this industry it's so exciting there's so much opportunity Um, so I've really seen the evolution of our industry and I'm a little concerned we're in that down cycle again um, just because of the the changes but I know we'll come through and I know there's still so many young people that have a a passion and interest in food and agriculture to serve us moving forward. The other thing that that comes to mind, and I I really try not to put a lot of generational stereotypes into place because I think that just our age as human beings brings forth, you know, um, behaviors and development over time that we evolve as we add more years of experience. But I do observe differences in young people entering our workforce today in both positive and challenging ways that are going to define organizational culture moving forward and organizations are struggling to embrace. And some of that is just our societal changes, but um, maybe it's it's um, exaggerated when you bring a young person into, into that. And I think about the fact that they are more technologically advanced or have that mindset than ever before. And young leaders I work with are just really ready to hit the ground running. They want to be a part of a dynamic workforce and to feel their value and contribution immediately. And you couple that with um, the virtual and flexible work environment gaining speed. They, you know, we as adults seek that those of us that have been in our careers for, um, quite some time, and it's it's more available as technology makes it so. Um, therefore, a lot of us are prioritizing place over organization in the hiring process, you know, and, and where we choose we want to be, um, back to the geography sometimes. Um, so organizations are having a harder time identifying talent in that kind of place-based model where I'm going to identify based on my values and what's important to me, where I want to live, and then build my career path or exploration on. Um, And again, that's not necessarily unique to young people, but for entry-level employees, um, the ability to coach and mentor and grow is challenged if um, that was to be the work arrangement right out of the gate for many organizations because we're not quite yet built for 
doing that well over geography. Uh, and I think that the, the confluence of all that is just really stretching the conventional work environment and expectations in a way that's just intriguing to me personally. And I certainly seek to influence that in our organization. Um, you know, at the same time, I think because we work with a lot of high performers, there's just a lot of pressure as they leave a structured educational system and, and enter that um, the job and real life, if you will, that is different than I think it was a couple decades ago. And so those are some of the things that are uh, intriguing to me and I think directly relate to coaching and mentoring in the first few years on the job to overcome or work through those things. Yeah, so that's an interesting shift that you're talking about because it's a, you know, it's a Gen Z I assume you're kind of talking about a lot of Gen Zers, and I have two of them that I've raised, so they're they're intriguing to me. Mm-hmm. And it, I felt like my generation, and I'm like that really the end of the boomers, and I had my children really late in life because we did a lot of career first. But our, boomers are m- more mobile than I feel like Gen Zs mm-hmm. are. In a in a way, it was like you went wherever that opportunity went, and it may have meant you didn't spend as much time with family anymore because they were you know five or thousand or three thousand miles away but you went ahead and did that and I think even Gen X and Gen you know millennials are maybe a little bit that way but I'm getting a sense that Gen Z is 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 what you're saying what you're describing what the place is really important and they're building things that you know are more like I want my daily interactions to be with people that I care about and I'm not going to pursue a career um, in the same way that my parents did or, or my even my older siblings did. So is that kind of what you're saying? It, yeah, it, it can be that or it can be the amenities of the place that you want to live. You know, I want to be in a place that suits my lifestyle, my hobbies, my, you know, um, other things in a way that suits me best. It may not always be tied to where my family is or my closest relationships so far. So I think there's just lots of those things at play. Interesting. So are you finding a lot more, are you dealing with a lot of people who work remotely? Is that factor into that? I think that's definitely factoring into it, and I think that there, that can be very successful. I just, I not all organizations are, everybody has to be on board with that. Um, and not all organizations are there, either from the way that they culturally interact day-to-day or from the technology they have in place to really excel in that. Um, and I, in the area of young people, um, I think that there is value in face-to-face connections um, to really maximize their potential uh, as you get started. And that can be a, a challenge in a remote employment environment. Yep. Yeah, that's really true. Really, really true. Oh, that was great. Okay, so Nancy, when you have stepped aside from your career and you've got a, you've got a long way to go, but what what would you hope people will say about you and and remember about you? I hope people say that I lived a generous life of integrity. Um, I don't. Are you familiar with the five love languages? Yes, I am. I am. Yeah. Well, so am I. Um, I. 
my love language is acts of service. And ever since I read that book, I actually read the children's version. But basically, if you read one version, you figure out how to translate it across other um, relationships or environments. I, I see that come out in me every day in the way I treat others and where I place value. And I think that's probably why I go to that, that I hope that other people saw me as generous with my time and service to them. Um, yeah, that's about it. That's a wonderful way to, to state that. I, I love that. Lived a generous life. That's beautiful. Okay, so last question. Um, what, what is a question that no one asks you that you've got a great answer to? Well, first of all, this is a great question. It's a hard question, but what a great question. Um, I've thought about it a lot, and I, you know, I'm sure I could think about it more and come up with a more personal, profound answer, but one of the things that really came to mind is the question of, you know, as a woman, can you have it all? Can you have, you know, um, personal and professional aspirations uh, and have all of it. And I'm sure I'm not the only person that would have the same answer, but my answer would be that yes, but not necessarily at the same time. Uh, you know, I've been amazingly blessed um, with my husband and his successful career, but it's also afforded me a lot of flexibility to grow my own. Uh, and we've built a life, life that we're grateful for, but it doesn't mean that at points I don't aspire for more or feel like I'm struggling to achieve what I want personally and professionally. Um, but the other thing I learned is that you know, the reality is that is life is a series of seasons and there's a right place and time for each of us. Um, and through those seasons, we can collectively have it all. It just may not be all the same in the same season or the same time. And that's okay. And that's certainly been a personal learning of mine uh, over the last decade, for sure. Wow. Well, that's you tied in some really wonderful advice at the end. <laughs> so great job. That is, no one's <laughs> ever had that be their their answer to that question. So that's really um, oh. something I think we all think about. And I don't think it's necessarily just women that that struggle with that at all. Um, I think you know men feel that way too. My husband stayed home with our kids, and I, I have a nephew who's doing that. And so it's. You know, often those roles aren't stereotypical, and, and for us it wasn't, you know, that's just the way it happened. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just the way the opportunities, and we just rolled with it together. So, um, and I think you're right, you not all at the same time. That's probably exactly how it happens, <laughs> actually. Yeah, so that's beautiful. I can tell you journal, Nancy, because your, your answers are just really well uh, thought out and articulate. So thank you. Oh, well, that. thank you. Thank you. Well, anything that we missed that you want to talk about and share with our audience? I don't think so. I appreciate the opportunity. I hope that uh, I have been able to share a little bit of wisdom and guidance for, for those listening and that, uh, you know, really are looking for their way in, in the agricultural industry. Well, thank you, Nancy. This is just really lovely. And That wraps up this episode of Spark, and I hope our audience will join us again for the next one. Thank you. That's Spark for today. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll tune in for the next episode. To learn more about Paulson, please visit paulson.ag. That's P-A-U-L-S-E-N dot A-G.